0: Well, church, it's good to gra- grab with you. It's good to gather with you tonight. Uh, my name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm uh, just looking forward to, to diving into God's word with you for a bit this evening. But before we do that, let's just spend a little bit of time in prayer. Should you pray with me? Holy God, we thank you for this time that we get to be together tonight. God, we are a, a people that are desperate. We're desperate for your grace. We're desperate to be reminded in a world that is full of distractions and difficulty and challenge. We're desperate to be reminded and refreshed in what is so good about Good Friday. So God, I pray that in this time that we have in your word, as we continue to hear your word read and sung this evening, would you help us to see and savor the richness and beauty of Jesus and the cross? We pray this in His name, Amen. Uh, recently, I was looking at my iPhone and realized there was an app on it that I'd never noticed before, and it had a little picture of a magnifying glass. And so I was like, "What is this all about?" So of course, I clicked on it to see what it was, and that's what it is. It's a magnifying glass, like on your phone. So I was like, well, I've got to play around with this a little bit. How much can this actually zoom in? I know my camera can do stuff, and this is using the camera, but it seemed to go in really, really far. It could show stuff in a whole lot of detail. For instance, I was zooming in on a piece of paper, and noticed this little tiny speck that I could barely see with my naked eye, but I could see it in great detail through my magnifying glass on my phone. I went outside. I looked at a flower out in front of the building. It was like, whoa, what kind of detail could I see if I zoom in on this? If you walked by, you probably were wondering what I was doing because I'm crouched on the ground with my phone looking at a flower. But you can see so much more detail when you zoom in, more that you notice the intricate details than just the normal glance. That's one of the neat things about magnification. Something may already be beautiful to just the, the normal gazing of it, the normal vision, but when you zoom in, you can really see the depth of its beauty. And it can lead you to appreciate it even more. Well, today is Good Friday, the day in the church calendar Where we take time to remember and reflect on and recognize the day that Jesus died on the cross. What I wanna do tonight, just for our brief time, is I wanna zoom in. I wanna try to plumb the depths of its significance. And here's why not because I don't think you understand it, or I don't understand it, not that we don't get what Jesus did for us, but because I think we can all be tempted, at least I know I can be tempted to kind of have some thankfulness for what Jesus did, and then just kind of move on, breeze past it, bypassing its depth and what it really shows us about who God is and about who we are. And so to do that, we're going to look at two verses in 1 Peter chapter 2. And my hope this evening is that in our short time in this, God will use it to help us see the intricate details of what happened on the cross and that that would lead us to awe and to wonder at the gravity of his grace for people like you and people like me. So let's jump into 1 Peter chapter 2, and may God bless the preaching of his word. Peter, the apostle, is the author of this letter, and he's writing to a group of churches to encourage them, churches who have experienced great suffering and difficulty as they seek to faithfully follow Jesus in a world that's set against Jesus and set against the kingdom of God. So Peter does that through these first few chapters of this letter, and then he comes to this part, this declaration that he makes in these two verses, our text for tonight, 1 Peter 2, 24 and 25. Peter writes this, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. I want to break this down into two parts: what Jesus did and why it matters. So let's talk first about what Jesus did. The beginning of this verse he says, "He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree." Now there's several things going on here that I don't want us to just to breeze by, but to take out our magnifying glass and, and zoom in and see the detail. First, notice how emphatic Peter is. He doesn't just say he, meaning Jesus. He says he himself. In other words, what Peter's about to tell us that Jesus did, he wants it to be really clear to us that it was Jesus alone. Jesus didn't have somebody else helping him. There was no one else coming along to assist him and or contributing to what he did. It was Jesus and no other. It's like Peter's trying to bold and underline this part of the text here. This is important for us to recognize and understand whether you've been follower of Jesus for a long time, or you're just checking out who Jesus is. So what is it that he alone did for us? It says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Now, bore is the past tense of bear, which means to carry something, carry the weight of something. But this isn't something that's a a light lift. It's not like putting on one of those cinch uh, backpacks on your back, the really lightweight ones. Like it's no big deal. You just throw maybe a water bottle in there, something like jacket, just carrying that. Now, this is about something that's weighty, a heavy burden. And What is it that Jesus carries? Peter tells us it's our sins. Well, that's one of those words that we use often in the church. But what exactly does it mean? And maybe we all know what it means, but do we take time to really feel the weight of it? In order to understand this, we have to go back to the beginning, really what we've been learning a lot about and are going to continue to learn about in our Sunday morning sermon series in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. We learn that God is perfect and he's holy. There is no defect or darkness, no wickedness or wrongness within him. And in both his perfection and his power, he calls all things into existence, including humans, you and me, made in his image meant to reflect and represent God in the world, living with him and under his good authority. But these first humans, Adam and Eve, they rebelled against God. Instead of being like God and under his authority, they wanted to be God and reject his authority. That's what sin is. It's a rejection of God and his good ways. It's saying, I know better. I can do this on my own. The reality is all of us have inherited the sinfulness of our first parents. Now, when we're born into this world, we're born not as worshipers of God, but of self. Not as followers, but as rebels. Seeking to go our own way and do our own thing apart from God saying, we don't need you. I have this on my own. We have to understand something. This isn't a minor infraction, it's not like we just happen to accidentally step on God's toes and can say, excuse me. It isn't a matter of preferences. Like God has a way that he suggests that we live, that he would like us to live, that he has certain things he likes better than others, but it's okay if you didn't do it the exact way that I want you to. No, at the core of what this is, is treason. It's rebellion. Our sin asserts ourself in this trying to set up this new kingdom against God and his kingdom where we yank God off the throne and put ourselves there to say, I'm in charge now. And what it deserves is death. See, God and his holiness and his perfection can't let rebellion go undealt with. It can't be swept under the rug because when it's under the rug, it's still there. Rebellion cannot coexist in the kingdom of God. And if God doesn't deal with our rebellion, then he isn't just and he's not good and he's not holy. So what our sin and our rebellion deserves is the righteous wrath of God. We deserve to be crushed for our rebellion. We deserve to pay the penalty for our sin. But God God is not only holy and just and good, he is also merciful and gracious. And in his loving kindness, he sent his son to be a substitute for us. Jesus willingly came into this world, taking on our humanity, but did so without sin. Jesus lived the life that you and I are called to live, one of perfect obedience and submission and worship to the Father. But Jesus' perfect life didn't simply outweigh our imperfect one. No, it qualified him to do what he did next. What we see in this text. To bear our sin. To bear our sin. Not his sin. Like Mark just pointed out from Isaiah 53. We have this idea that like, well, Jesus must have died for something he did wrong. No, he died for something you did wrong. Something I did wrong. He went to bear our sin. Not his. Our sin. All of it. Every wicked thought you've had, everything you've done that is disobedient to God, everything you haven't done that God's called you to do, now and in the future, all of it he went to bear on his body, in his body, on the tree. Peter uses this phrase here, the, the tree, to talk about the cross. And he does that because it's a reference to something that's mentioned in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 21, that anyone who's hanged on a tree is cursed. See, crucifixion was a heinous and cursed way to die. Hands nailed to wooden beams, feet nailed to wooden beams to be exposed naked in front of a whole group of mockers and scoffers that would walk by and ridicule you and shake their heads at you, humiliated before everyone out in the elements to be exposed to the whole world. It was the death to shame people. It was the death for criminals and rebels. But Jesus did it for us. He became a substitute for us. He stood in our place. He took on all of our sin. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, the Apostle Paul says this, for our sake, he, meaning God, made him, meaning Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, in other words, what that means is when Jesus is on that cross, when God the Father looks at him, what he sees is not his perfection at that moment. He sees our sin put on his back. He exchanges his perfect righteousness for our sin. We get the righteousness. He gets crushed. That's what it means that Jesus' death on the cross then. It means that it wasn't just merely an example of sacrifice, of laying down his life. It was a a picture of an effective sacrifice. He actually, really took on the holy and right punishment that you and I deserve so that we could be reconciled to God, so that we could be forgiven. Brothers and sisters, the evidence that would rightly convict us is compelling and clear. There's no two ways about it. There is no hiding it. There's no running from it. It's one of the reasons I think it's helpful to meditate on the cross. It's been helpful for me even this week to recognize this and think about the gravity of my sin and my rebellion, that what I deserve is to be crushed. What I deserve is death. But at the same time, to remember the gravity of God's grace to save me from it. The record of debt that stood against me, it was paid in full in full, not because I figured it out, not because I cleaned myself up part of the way, he himself, not he and me, not because I had sufficient funds to pay for it. It was paid in full because what a holy and righteous God demanded from me, he gave to me when he sent his one and only son to die in my place and in your place too. This wasn't an audible call to the line to fix a minor problem. This was the plan of redemption promised from long ago to remedy a cosmic and eternal problem. See, much of what Peter says here is an allusion to the text that we read at the beginning in our call to worship from Isaiah 53. A prophecy written hundreds of years before about the suffering servant who would come and be pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. On our own, you and I are dead in our sin. We are unable and we are unwilling to be reconciled to God. We're running the other way. We don't want him. We have nothing that we desire from him. We're not seeking forgiveness and salvation. He brings it to us. And for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the crushing Not just the physical, not just the anguish of being physically exposed and excruciating pain that he would go through on the cross as he shed his blood and his body was breaking down. Not just being crushed physically, but spiritually as well in mind, in heart, in body, in soul as the wrath of God is poured out on him for you, for me. It should be you up there and me. But Jesus took our place. Jesus took our place. He was crushed for us. On the cross when Jesus died, the righteous wrath of God for your sin and mine was satisfied. Not because of anything we contributed to it. Not because we'd racked up enough good behavior brownie points. But because Jesus alone willingly took our place. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. That's what Jesus did, and he did for us. But why does it matter? Well, Peter tells us in the rest of this passage, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So we have to understand something here. The purpose of Jesus' death was not merely to provide forgiveness for sin, though it absolutely and fully accomplished that. What Peter's saying here by drawing our hearts and our minds back to the cross, by taking time to meditate on it, to see Jesus in this way, is that Jesus died for our sins so that we might die to sin. See, you aren't just someone who sins, but you're enslaved to it. You're you're captive to it. You're in prison. There are chains binding you and holding you. Jail cell doors that are shut. You're locked in, captive to the sin. Peter says you're straying like sheep. You're wandering. You're lost and alone in danger. And the reality of your life apart from the cross, apart from Jesus' death, is death for you. We all were once condemned. But now by faith in who Jesus is and what Jesus did, we are forgiven and we are set free now and forever. Romans 6 tells us that when Christ died, our old self was, died and was buried with him. In other words, the cross changes everything for you, everything for you. It enables you to no longer be captive to sin, but instead to live a new kind of life. And Peter, here's alluding to the resurrection, which we will celebrate on Sunday. But that's why Peter means when he says, by his wounds you've been healed. Again, a reference to Isaiah 53. When Jesus died, the cross didn't provide a promise of physical healing in this life because that isn't the most significant healing that you need. The healing he provides is spiritual healing because you, sin has left you dead. Karen Job's the Bible scholar and teacher says the fatal physical wounds of the suffering servant heal the fatal spiritual wounds of rebels like you and me. And now in and through what Jesus accomplished by bearing our sin in his body on the cross, you are free from the power of sin. You are free from it. Hear me on that. If you're struggling in different ways right now, if you're thinking, I am getting crushed by my sin, I'm always captive to my sin. No, Jesus sets you free from it. He's given you the ability now to say no to that, to live a life that is pleasing to God. So if you're struggling right now, look back to the cross and remember he himself bore your sins in his body on the tree. This brings us to the last part of what Peter says in verse 25. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. The root of our sin is a rejection of God and his authority. It's of forgetting that you are a sheep that needs to be led, not a lone ranger who can survive and thrive on their own. The world tells you you can do that, but the reality is you can't. God didn't make you that way. But this suffering servant who alone saves you from your sin is also the chief shepherd, An overseer of your soul. See, this isn't about Jesus' tenderness towards you, though he is tender towards you. This is about his authority. Peter's establishing again who is king, which means that genuine conversion of crossing from death to life involves turning to Jesus as Lord and King and ruler of your life, all of it. That's why Peter says, You have returned there's no new life apart from turning to Jesus. It's what we call repentance and faith, the initial and ongoing reality of new life in Christ, this continually turning away from our sin and turning to Jesus for redemption and restoration. Look, we've all sinned in the past and all of us have sinned today and all of us are gonna sin tomorrow. So we have to keep looking back and remembering what Christ has accomplished for us, turning away from rebellion and turning again in faith to him, believing he is who he says he is and did what he said he came to do, to seek and to save the lost, to bear our sins in his body on that tree. But listen, if you're not yet a Christian, then you haven't yet returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul, which means that you remain dead in your rebellion. Listen, you can have life too. By his wounds, you can be healed also. So come to him by faith today. Turn away from wandering away from God, from rejecting him, and turn to trust in Jesus today. Church, today is called Good Friday because of what was accomplished on this day some 2,000 years ago. Through death came life, through faithfulness came freedom. Through sacrifice came redemption, and that is so, so very good. But I know that in the midst of the busyness of life, work, sports, family, friends, school, we can forget about it. We can take it for granted and breeze by. My hope is is that by slowing down just a little bit tonight, zooming in, taking time to reflect on and realize the full weight and gravity of our sin and the full weight and gravity of what Jesus did for us that we can go out from here in awe and wonder and with confidence and hope for what he will continue to do. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you, I, have been healed For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. Amen. Thank you, Lord.